Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering to discuss movements in the markets at the same time as enjoying a few beers. Sam, how are you getting on this week? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Boaz. It's uh, an exciting, exciting week, exciting week in the crypto world for us crypto folk. Um, yeah, things are, things, are getting, things are heating up. It's like, I don't know if you uh, remember that great uh, basketball game, NBA Jam, when if you got a few consecutive um, hoops on the board, um, the little voiceover dude would be like, he's heating up. And then you'd like get a few more and he's like, he's all on fire. And then basically the ball was on fire every time you had it. You could just shoot threes from everywhere and it just like go in every time you do these crazy ass dunks. I, feel I, like remember, um, I remember seeing someone play that game um, and I they had the big head cheat yeah, act. Yeah, the big head cheat, yeah. Yeah, that's my only. That's my only. Uh, my only experience of that game is just seeing, uh, you know, a basketball game. Except every player has an absolutely enormous noggin. One of the great, one of the great periods in time, really, when a set combination of buttons on a controller could open up all new realms of entertainment on a cartridge-based game. Uh, for, for for our listeners that are old enough to appreciate the nostalgia behind that. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you feel my, uh, my my excitement about talking about games like NBA Jam. Actually, funny enough, so speaking about NBA Jam, which is while we're on the subject, um, when I was at CES in Las Vegas earlier this year in January, before the world locked down and, and when you know plane travel was you know just a normal thing that you do, um, they had this, they had a giant NBA Jam machine, and I'm talking it was it was probably five or six meters high and you had to walk up this sort of scaffolding to actually get to the joystick and buttons. And the joystick was like, um, uh, I don't know. It was like, it was like the thickness of a, of a large beer bottle. And then the buttons were as big as, I don't know, a, 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 an iPad kind of thing. So you've got this big joystick and these big buttons, you like mashing these buttons, playing this giant NBA jam machine. That's six meters high. It was one of the great experiences in my life. <laughs> Just to share that little anecdote. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't know NBA Jam. Well, uh, well, of course, I'm guessing this was, this is Australia. Yeah, NBA Jam in the UK. I don't think it's ever been all that popular, but I could be, I could be incorrect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know why, but in, like the NBA in Australia in the period in the '90s, uh, where the NBA was was everything. It was like Aussie rules football is like the sport, but then it was it was basketball, and you know that was a great era of, you know, Jordan and. Um, guys like Carl Malone, David Robinson, Sean Camp, Dominic Wilkins, Clyde Drexler, uh, some of the great, you know, the all-time greats of of, of, of the NBA. Um, there's there's plenty more I've left out. Uh, Shaq, um, when he first came on the scene, it, and it just exploded. It doesn't seem to have the same kind of pizzazz that it that it used to have anymore. That doesn't necessarily mean the NBA is not uh, as exciting or as, as worth as much. If anything, the NBA and the teams are worth more now than they've ever been. I don't think there's, a, there's an NBA team worth less than a billion dollars at the moment, um, yeah. which is astounding when you start to think about the kind of money that flows around that. But uh, it was huge. It was huge in Australia. And I never sort of get the feeling that over here it was as big. It was certainly you know known and, and people liked it, but never got the feeling that it was quite as all-encompassing as it was uh, in Australia back in the 90s, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember watching Space Jam when I was a kid and, uh, and that got me into basketball. But that, w- that was like it. And uh, you'd have to record the. Um, it was only Channel Five, of course, that played the base the basketball games. 
uh, and the NFL games for that matter. I think they did NHL as well. But of course, it was in the middle of the night. So I had to set the, the, um, the, the VHS up to record it <laughs> yeah. um, and then watch it the next day and stuff. Um, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was good times. Was, the, was NBA Jam, uh, was that 2K games that made that? There was the developer on that game? No, I want EA? to say that it was EA, but I don't even think it was EA Sports. I think that this predated EA getting into NBA Jam. Uh, it shouldn't take too... Midway. Midway acclaim. Okay, yeah, Midway acclaim and Electronic Arts. So, yeah, it's sort of a mixture of a few there. But, I mean, that's sort of like EA games. The, the reason EA or Electronic Arts is so big is for some of those old games like, like NBA Jam becoming so hugely popular. Like, if you go and have a look at the stock price of EA games today, where are we? Electronic, oh, elect, electronic Arts, but it's, it's EA games. So EA Sports... It's in you know, EA Sports. It's in the name. Uh, all these great, these great ads. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. If you go all the way back to 19, where is it? 1989, when I think it was when EA first listed. So I was I was six back then. At 47 cents, EA, EA Electronic Arts now trades at 120 dollars. Right. Um, you know, over time, it's like, I always think, I always look at these things, right? Like company like EA and I go, well, you know, they were making games that I loved and played in the nineties. You know, if I had the you know wherewithal of my dad or, you know, somebody had the wherewithal to go, oh, what are these games? These kids all just are addicted to. Oh, okay. NBA Jammer, who makes that electronic arts? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a publicly listed company. I could probably go and buy stock in that. If everyone's so excited about it now, maybe it's going to be a thing in the future. It's that whole kind of, you know, if you, uh, if you use it, um, you know, why don't you just, why don't you buy it as well if you can? And, you know, 30 years later, you made, the, you made an absolute mozza on it. And I reckon there's, I mean, there's, 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 there's these same stories play out today as well, right? Is that there are going to, there are a bunch of things that you use today or companies that, you know, might be a bit smaller or that maybe not everyone knows about, but, but you know, be, quickly become things that people love and are addicted to that in another 30 years time you'll probably make a mozza on yeah i think the um what, what's frustrating is that these days more so than back then private equity has so much capital yeah. at its disposable yeah, that is true. at its disposal that you they're buying up a lot of those opportunities uh, and so preventing the, the the every man from getting exposure to it but no i 100 percent agree you know uh, interestingly i actually passed ea's uh, stockholm headquarters uh, the other day, or at least their Stockholm base, they've got a big, yeah. um, big sign at the top of a uh, at the top of a building. Uh, they're just um, they're one floor up from Dice, the other video game developer uh, who did uh, a lot of the a lot of the work on the more recent Battlefield games. Um, but yeah, man, EA, while uh, they did make some good games back in the day, and of course they aren't major player today, they are notorious for treating their employees like utter vermin. <laughs> <laughs> like they are meant to be have some of the worst working conditions for the for the guys that are grinding under them of like any of the major AAA game game developers. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, it's funny. I, I always, I always, yeah, you kind of game development and building video games. It always, it's got for me. It always seems like it's one of those kinds of jobs that you would just love to have. Like you'd love to be able to build games and build worlds. And I'm sure that it, that it has advantages but you also hear stories like you say from ea or other game developing companies that are just horrendous like basically video game sweatshops almost yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's kind of like you feel like the um 
the prestige of it is is or the perception of the prestige of it is far greater than the reality of it. It's one of those things that if you actually did it, I'm, I'm sure if there are any game developers listening, I'd love to hear what your experiences are, even if they're anonymous uh, <laughs> experiences. Um, but you do hear some pretty horrific stories in, in those that, that industry. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, you know, not not long ago, I remember seeing uh, somebody was um, was uh, was doing a uh, some, some an employee at one of the uh, large firms was giving a um, they'd created a video game union. You know, it seems kind of uh, seems kind of surreal to to kind of imagine that because we normally attribute uh, union work with uh, you know more of the blue collar stuff. Mm. Um, sort of the uh, you know manual labor that kind of thing but you know there are there are people trying to set up video game unions these days which probably says something about uh it, keeping their own employees happy maybe there's uh, something that's been uh, something's been lost on the way yeah i mean you always uh, unions always manage to find their way into all industry don't they if, although to be fair i remember there there's in australia i'm not sure to be fair what the situation is in the uk but i know in australia there's supposed to be a financial services union but they they just must have no teeth because you always have far greater pull as the individual rather than uh, the union when it comes to the financial services industry Right. By the way, we uh, we are uh, we probably should say what we're drinking. We have uh, we have uh, gone slightly off course here. Sam, what are you on today? Uh, my first is called a Butty Buck or Butty Batch uh, from the Y Valley Brewery, uh, and this is uh, Butty Buck. Or, or okay, okay, it's actually a Welsh term for little friend. <laughs> So I've probably pronounced that horribly wrong, uh, but it is uh, what is known as a premium ale uh, from the Y Valley Brewery in Herefordshire. 4.5% premium ale. Is it tasting any good? Yeah, it's all right. It's, all right. it's, uh, it's definitely, a, a, it's not particularly strong. It's a pretty easy to drink ale so far. Um, I'd almost call it a session ale, <laughs> which interestingly enough, my second one uh, is an, a session IPA. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in a session right now. This, this is a session for me. Thoroughly sessioned. Uh, over, on, over on my side, I'm carrying on with the Swedish beers. This is Fermenterarna IPA, which is a starkol, which I think means like um, sort of a, uh, a, strong, a strong ale. Um, and yeah, Fermenterarna. And this is by Contact uh, with K's. Of course. Uh, brewery. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, wait. In fact, let's see. And underneath it says um, Stromstad's Humligaste Brewery. So I'm guessing Stromstad's is the, is the official name of this one. I feel, like, I feel like over time we should get some sort of foreign language elocution lessons <laughs> because I'm sure we are butchering so, so many terminologies. I, I yeah. just butchered the Welsh and I think you just butchered the Swedes. <laughs> you know, the, uh, I, I would love to quote that, you know, to give that crucial quote that uh, a British man in Britain can pronounce a foreign word however he likes, but I'm not in Britain, so I wouldn't be able to get away with it. <laughs> But this one does taste pretty good. It does taste pretty good. Uh, it's actually quite unique. This is, uh, as it, it's a, you know, it's like heavy ale, uh, and it is an IPA, but it's really quite sweet. There's a sweetness in this that I don't know how it's managed to get in there. Hmm. Um, and I think it's six point. Let's see, what's the ABV? Um, six point seven percent. What's the ABV on yours? 
Ah, uh, mine's just a, a lazy, cool 4.5%. One mm. where after I've consumed, I won't be half cut uh, or semi blotto. I will just be nicely easing into my session. Paper cut. <laughs> Paper cut. That's a, you know what? That needs to be added to the, uh, to the, to the, to the levels of cutness <laughs> when consuming alcohol. Well, it was the final one. Eviscerated. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Fully cut. <laughs> guillotine. Yeah, guillotine. Right. Now, I've, I've actually, while well, you're mentioning Swedish beers, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure people listening would like to know, what, what's your experience like in Sweden, in Stockholm, uh, so far at the moment? We are here in the UK, obviously, about to come out of uh, the, the, the full-blown national lockdown on December 2, so another, another week uh to to exit that only to go into further uh back into the tier system how good of them to release us back into into restrictions uh what's what's things like uh over there in stockholm uh no things are things are very nice here in stockholm um yeah uh the weather is remains similar to aberdeen so nothing nothing too cold for me thankfully (laughs) um the still pretty pretty busy at the weekends um in terms of the pubs, uh, pubs and bars and shops, uh, I went into uh, sort of the sort of central. Uh, I can't remember. It's um, the name of the square. There's a central square uh, in Stockholm that I, uh, I wandered around for quite a while over the weekend. You know, going to, looking around uh, all of the. We've got plenty of shops. It's kind of like um, it's a lot like you know Piccadilly Circus kind of thing, um, or Oxford Street that kind of uh, that kind of area in Stockholm. Uh, it was it was very nice. There were lots of you know all of the designer places that you'd normally imagine. They had lots of interesting uh, bars, restaurants, and stuff. There were quite a few pubs actually, which I thought was interesting. You know, very obviously uh, inspired by you know, your standard British pub, including one called the Queen's Head, which of course <laughs> is a very uh, very British name. Speaking um, of the <laughs> it was very uh, <laughs> it was very it was very uh, yeah very very nice, very comforting. I went to yesterday. We were both fans of uh, whiskey, of course. Yep. I went to the Ardbeg Embassy yesterday, which uh, you know is uh, of course run by the Ardbeg Distillery, which in turn is owned by LVMH, the uh, the French luxury uh, conglomerate run by none other than uh, the Wolf in Satin. Is it no, the Wolf in Cashmere? That's his that's his nickname. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was at the Ardbeg uh, Ardbeg Embassy. It was very nice. Uh, both the you know all the staff spoke English. Uh, and I was trying out some of the, the Swedish whiskies actually, and they were uh, they were very fine indeed. Though um, they they really do cost you a pretty penny there. It was uh, mm. you're looking at the the the, the whiskey list. Uh, everything was charged per centiliter, uh, and Ooh. almost all of them were. It was the same price for everything, right? Which I thought was uh, I thought was very you know very all about the egalité, equality, etc. <laughs> Uh, you know, very, very socially liberal, I suppose, except the, you know, the, the, the price that everything was at was very, very high. So it worked out for, uh, for many of these for uh, at 100 krona per centiliter. And so if you want a dram, you go for two centiliters. And, uh, you know, 200 krona, I mean, it works out to over 17 pounds. So over yeah. 17 pounds for a whiskey is, uh, well, it's not exactly cheap. And uh, a lot of these whiskies were were in that were in that level. As I say, they were very very broadly priced, just at you know one hundred krona per centiliter. Uh, but that said, Swedish whiskey is actually remarkably good. Uh, it was yeah, um, very pleasant, very pleasant indeed. I I, I like I uh, I've I've not had I don't think I've ever had a Swedish whiskey ever. 
So I, I, I think that uh, we, when we do get around to doing a whiskey episode, which we do need to, we do need to do at some stage because I've got, I've got a few tucked away uh, that would get us through at least a, a couple of episodes. Um, you might, you might have to throw the old uh, Swedish whiskey into the mix or, or whiskeys of the world. To be fair. I know there's actually um, speaking of whiskey, there's a, there's some Tasmanian whiskey from uh, back home for me uh, that is supposed to be outstanding. Um, Taswegian so, whiskey. Yeah. Taswegian whiskey. I mean, the, the climate probably, uh, probably suits it down there. Um, but yeah, we, we must, we must get on to a whiskey episode. It would be uh, irresponsible of us, I, I feel, to not to not do so. Yeah, on the topic of whiskeys of the world, this place I was completely unfamiliar with it. Uh, but they they were selling Indian and Indian. Taiwanese whiskeys, uh, which wow. I was not I do I wasn't aware either of those countries had uh, distilleries running, uh, but they do, uh, which I was uh, I was quite surprised at. So um, yeah, there's uh, I know South Africa has like I think there's one major distillery there. Uh, but just in terms of how broad the the whiskey world is, it really is quite, uh, you know, the, the whiskey world is flat, as it were. So, yeah, we should. Uh, funnily enough, I actually brought a, um, I, I bought a couple of bottles of whiskey at a whiskey auction uh, before I headed off to Sweden. I brought one of them with me just in case. I've got <laughs> a, uh, an Octomore, a Brickladdy Octomore Virgin Oak with me, and I'm not sure when I should open it, when I should try it. <laughs> uh, but it would definitely it would definitely suit a future BBB. I do notice, however, that uh, we have not mentioned, well, we barely mentioned any uh, any any market news so far in this episode. That's so, true. Uh, I, I believe I interrupted you when you were about to say about how uh, how uh, similar to NBA Jam, you know, for crypto owners, the uh, you, you got you had the you had the hot hands, you know, you had the hot. Ah. Uh, Basketball. Yeah, I was, I was, I was trying to remember how I even got onto NBA Jam, but that was, that was right. It was uh, the, the hot hands that we were, we were heating up when we're on fire um, because it has, I mean, it's, it's, it's gone, it's gone this week is, has gone um, proverbially crazy. It's mental. It's, it's, it's booming. And the, uh, the XRP army is back in full force. I mean, it's, it's all going, the chads are flexing hard. Um, these are all terms that, that people listening to this that aren't familiar with the crypto world are probably thinking he's lost his mind. And granted, I probably have a little bit, but um, yeah, we're seeing, you know, when, when we, when we look at the fiat converted prices of a lot of the, the, the sort of crypto that are, that are listed uh, on some of these price aggregation sites at the moment, uh, we're seeing some big, big upticks in price. Like uh, over the last week, XRP formerly known as Ripple, uh, up 137% in seven days. Even Bitcoin Cash is up 37% in in, uh, in seven days. Stellar, 128% in seven days. Uh, Tron, 38% in seven days. Tezos, 27%. Neo, 28%. IOTA, 51%. Waves, 56%. These are just, you know, some of the top 50 uh, in terms of market capitalization. Uh, great term which I very much dislike, but nonetheless, you know, double digit rises for a lot of these uh, crypto, which is not, it's not something we've really seen since probably mid, oh, when was the last, was it mid last year? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of mid 2019 things got a little crazy um, off of, off of some sort of lows out the back of early 2019, but also, you know, some very reminiscent of, of mid 2017 as well, you know, and it's, it's a pattern that's reminiscent. This is probably the, now the, if I go back, 
So sort of first major Bitcoin cycle was uh, arguably sort of 2012, 2013. That was the real big first one that pushed Bitcoin up in 2013 over $1,000 for the first time. Actually, before that, probably even earlier, 2011, uh, when it was, you know, up to, I think it went up from like 30 cents to a dollar to $30 back to like $2. And then yeah, the 2013 cycle and then the 20. 20 sort of 16 cycle to into 2017 obviously then 2018 and then mid 2019 and this is sort of another cycle off the back of that mm -hmm. so what's that four or five i've lost track <laughs> this happens this happens all the time i mean and, and realistically this it's all it's just a big price it's, i think it's still just a big price discovery phase um for a lot of these even bitcoin yeah. like you know, and we'll get into it in a moment, I'm sure. But the the big money hasn't come to the space yet, uh, and it feels like now it's starting to do that. I um I saw a fascinating table uh, which we shall uh, post under the when we post this episode, uh, we'll we'll include it on Twitter um, because it's really it's really quite informative and it shows you so it, you know it condenses Bitcoin's history to uh, a great pool of information and it just shows uh what how how long it took uh from bitcoin to go from uh, a low to an all-time high all the way through its history so the number of days how big the decline was and how high the the percentage gain was when it did return to that uh new high um and yeah as i as i say you know it's got the dates and everything uh, and just in terms of the sort of the major ups and downs and uh, we're looking at let me see uh, three So we're looking at effectively 12 um, grand moves where Bitcoin has gone to a new all-time high, then got wrecked uh, down again, and then you know gone up again uh, to and to ever ever greater heights. So you know, interestingly, the sort of the biggest period in the doldrums for Bitcoin was between um, let's see the the 30th of November 2013. Uh, through to the 14th of January 2015. So that was 410 days. Uh, and from that period, that was from a, an 85% decline, it then went up to 500, it, it went up to 585%. Um, and it, you know, it, it just shows you just how extreme some of these moves are. Uh, and then how positive some of the, for the, you know, the incredible rallies there are. So, uh, you know, this goes all the way back to 2010. It's all the way back to existing data. Uh, but you just see um, that where we are now, we're, so we're sort of in this in this period uh, at the time of recording. You know, we've not hit a new all-time high yet, so uh, you know, we're, it's, it's looking pretty it's looking pretty um, friendly now uh, with the nineteen thousand level. But um, you know, we're we're the longest ever period was four hundred and ten days, and at the moment mm. we're in the three hundred sixties day period. So uh, it, it's quite, you know, it's quite fascinating to watch. I'll, uh, we, we'll post it with this, uh, with this episode and just have a look at it. And it'll show you just how extreme the moves are and, uh, you know, how extreme some of the, you know, pain has been, how great some of the, uh, the, the great rises have been. Uh, Sam, one thing I, um, we, we, I mentioned it briefly to you uh, before we started recording, but I thought it'd be good to discuss it more on air. Um, obviously, for for the for the crypto speculator, um, one of the great errors is to think that. Well, from my side at least, one of the great errors of the crypto speculator has been to think that there is going to be a flipping. You know, that there's going to be 
another 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 altcoin is going to rise and it's going to uh, take mm. Bitcoin's spot. Um, and so a lot of crypto speculators spend too much time in the altcoins when really they should just be holding Bitcoin. Uh, but we are, uh, you know, uh, anyone looking at Google Trends can see uh, that it does not look like the everyman is the one driving this rally, right? There is very little interest in Bitcoin, crypto, mm. uh, all the other various terms that you could use for it at the moment. Uh, and it does seem that Bitcoin is getting it all. But if uh, if Bitcoin is just going up by itself, it does it will bring the everyman in inevitably uh, as as someone looks for for a quick buck. And uh, as a result, people will look for leverage. Maybe they'll find that in things like Bitcoin futures that a lot of the crypto exchanges uh, offer. But often they'll be looking for, you know, the next Bitcoin. You know, they're looking yeah. for uh, another, an altcoin that will rise. And, you know, and plenty of altcoins do. Uh, and, and, they've, and they've managed to, you know, things like Ethereum have managed to, um, uh, you know, defend their value to a serious degree uh, during the bear markets too. So it's not saying that they're, uh, they're relevant by any measure. Uh, but just in terms of uh, alt season, whether or not we're in alt season, uh, if we are, I mean, we're in the very early innings. I mean, you uh, you rattled off a, a great number of um, pretty incredible performance figures there from the from the from the from the charts from the top tables. Um, but if we are in new alt season, I mean, uh, you know, just double digit gains generally don't do it. <laughs> we're, we generally see something a fair bit more than that. Yeah. Talking about what sector is going to attract the money and what sector is going to you know which altcoins are people are going to be somehow you know much more entranced with this time around uh, in 2017 it, you know there was a phase where privacy coins were a big deal uh, but then there was also a phase with like smart contracts and um, anyone that was trying to sort of uh, Try, trying to tokenize things of various measures. One of the, one of the big reasons why Ethereum did quite so well last time was because people were trying to trying to ICO things left and right. Um, my kind of going theory uh, this time around is because we've seen this incredible rise in uh, what's you you know what's phrased as DeFi, the decentralized finance space. Um, earlier this year, before the crazy Bitcoin rally, you know, just during it was like in the middle of lockdown at the beginning of lockdown, there was this. Yeah all these stories about insane yield farming going on um, and these DeFi tokens that were, were really uh, going to the moon. My, my sort of general gist that or my, my gut says, because it's the, these, um, these assets, you know, the, the DeFi cryptos in that, in that space, those are the ones that were doing really well beforehand, implies a fair bit of interest within the community, a fair bit of development within the community going on yeah. in that space. When now the Bitcoin is doing its big rise, people that want uh, leverage, people want beta to the Bitcoin price, are going to go for the DeFi tokens over the other tokens. What's your take on that? Uh, I think some of them, yes, uh, that will happen. But I think for a lot of people, the the DeFi space it, right now is still just so it's complex it's fraught with um with scams with with rug pulls with um complexity that the average person is just not going to touch um and 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 i think what you'll find and this is what happens this is what happened in the last cycle this is what happens in all cycle is that when you see something like bitcoin at like nineteen thousand dollars uh per bitcoin um, what speculators do is they move into some of the altcoins where on a per unit basis, 
are just crazy cheap. So I have no, I have no doubt whatsoever that there's a good reason. So if you look at some of the biggest performing crypto over the last week, uh, two of, it, it, just in the top 100, two of them are Stellar and XRP. Now XRP on a per unit basis is 69 cents at the moment. Stellar is 18 cents uh, at the moment. And you go through and you look for some of the other really big ones that have moved, uh, you know, close to 100%. And nothing else is really that close. Nano is $1.38 and it's probably the closest at like 80%. Uh, so there's, I have no doubt that some of the moves of these crypto are literally just because on a per unit basis, they're, they're, they're cheap. Yeah. Um, and, and that will, that will continue to happen. Now that can be said of, you know, some of these DeFi projects that have tokens. Um, I, I just think it's, it's too complex a space. Now there are some within that space, like we talked about off air, uh, Uniswap, which is effectively a decentralized exchange. And there's, you know, it's, there's, there's probably some value there. Um, you know, it, it, if once you understand sort of what it does and how it works, but at the same time, it's as, it's as volatile and as risky as anything else, because as a decentralized exchange, it's prone to, you know, things happening that are very unpredictable. Like um, the other day, you know, it, it, it had something like three point something billion worth of liquidity in its liquidity pools. And within a matter of a day, uh, 40, 50% of that was moved out of its liquidity pools and into competitors. So it'd be kind of like, uh, imagine the, the New York stock exchange and uh, 50% of all the volume just moves to a com competing exchange. Um, and then you, you wonder, well, what, you know, as, as a stock exchange itself has all of a sudden the value of that stock exchange just been cut in half because the volumes have all disappeared and gone somewhere else. So there are, you know, there are issues around it, which again, it's just, it's a discovery phase with some of these things like Uniswap's virtually brand new. It's really, um, you know, the idea of a decentralized exchange isn't, but Uniswap itself is, is very new. Um, and a lot yeah. of these, these projects are so new, trying out new realms of, of finance or, or, or looking at ways of rebuilding financial networks um, in a decentralized manner that a lot of it's kind of just testing the waters it's a test case it's an experiment side of sort of thing so some of them will i think people will flock to because there's the potential there for it to be um and i'm not just talking about uniswap here i'm talking about a whole bunch of DeFi projects some people will flock to them under the guise of you know maybe this is sort of a foundational uh opportunity for what the new financial system is going to look like and so that then all of a sudden you know a billion uh, dollar circulating value of their tokens, maybe, you know, maybe that's cheap um, when you consider, you know, how big some of this could be. So there's, you know, there's so many different things within it, like for like Filecoin as well. So like Filecoin did it an ICO during the last boom and it's taken, you know, years net to, to get to, to releasing its main net and it's now wild and free. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really positioning itself as the V interplanetary file system, IPFS, so that, you know, the world can share and, and decentralize how we store data and, 
uh, and, and transact and manage data. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of different things. But when you look at Bitcoin where it's, you know, PayPal, when PayPal have adopted Bitcoin and, other, and a few other cryptocurrencies, their, their sort of reasoning behind it was that digital currencies are effectively a new payment system and that they're being proactive in enabling their merchants and consumers to use it as a payment system. So that all of a sudden opens up the question that if PayPal are enabling people to use something like Bitcoin as a currency, is it now actually a currency rather than a store of value? Or is that, is that the way it's going to develop is that it will be a store of value to a point and then it will be a currency when it reaches a critical mass. Uh, and if so, then what implications does that have for all the regions that have declared it to be property or things like that and subject to things like capital gains? So, you know, there's a, we're in such an early discovery phase with all of it that if we do see the, another big sort of mega cycle, which I think we will see, I, I don't envisage that it will be the last and that we will probably see another cycle of, of crazy money come to the space, which will, again, it'll, it'll draw financial capital and it will draw more human capital as well. And there'll be opportunities to develop and work with projects that maybe don't exist today that will, will come out of this next mega cycle that will help build out the next iteration and, and, and great ideas uh, as, as the whole space sort of develops and comes. So it, it, it's tough because there's, there's, I think, you know, there's obviously money to be made. It's a speculator's wet dream, this market. Um, but so is the stock market. I mean, what we're seeing uh, with, with, with crypto right now, I think oh, I was reading something today, actually. Uh, I can't remember who put out the study. Uh, it might've been Van Eck or something like that, uh, that, 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 that found that um, stocks, you know, are, are as equally as volatile as, as, as Bitcoin. Um, and that, you know, when people talk about volatility in cryptocurrency, you know, it's no different to the stock market. I mean, Tesla's still up over 500% this year, um, which puts most crypto to shame. <laughs> so, you know, like this, I think what it all does as well is it comes back to this point that we've made several times uh, during this year about the, the quest for, um, you know, for yield and, and, and for investors trying to find returns because, you know, they have to put their capital to work because, you know, sitting it passively in an account isn't, isn't going to do it for you anymore. And if there's no, if there's a lack of yield in the market through what's happened this year, um, through, whether it be dividends or interest or, or things like that, is the investors have to find another way to get their money working for them. And so it finds its way to areas like the market. It finds its way to areas like cryptocurrency. And I have no doubt that, you know, with the rampant loose monetary policy that's flowing around and the, the money printer goes, brrr, uh, that that's also had an impact on, on how things are moving with crypto at the moment as well. Yeah, my, my thoughts on uh, DeFi being one of the uh, main sucks of capital in the sort of the cycle to come. So my, my thinking around that is just that, uh, you know, as you say, we're, uh, you know, there are pl there's experimentation is all over the space. You know, there's yet to be really anything 100% established uh, that has been cemented as this is what this space is about. This is what we're doing that kind of thing. But just in terms of we've yet to see the narratives uh, sort of emerge as to what is going on here. So in 2017, 
uh, it was very clear where you had all these ICOs going on and people had, you know, very, they, they had lots of um, marketable statements as to what their, their ambitions were. And uh, journalists similarly had uh, a similar tone. Well, those that were, you know, open to the space at least had a similar um, tone and a similar approach saying, this is what is going on. They are trying to decentralize X uh, or they are trying to bring X to the masses or, you know, they're, uh, they're um, disintermediating the banks and giving X service here. You know, this is what they're trying to do. Uh, I, I, from, you know, as this rally that we've seen is, has been so quiet in Bitcoin, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking with DeFi, uh, and you know the decentralized finance. Yeah, plenty of these projects are very new, and they are very, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're very volatile. I mean, as yeah. you say, you know, you get these grand liquidity drains. It's like the old school days of banking when uh, you know suddenly banks could go bankrupt overnight, and you know there was nothing anyone yeah. could really do about it. Yeah. Um. I, I, but I'm just thinking with the the narrative because it's with something as speculative uh, as Bitcoin, and if you're trying to look at this as a speculation, um. It's the market's narrative, you know, the way it views itself, I think is key. And I think, mm. I think it's DeFi, it's that space that is going to be the narrative that emerges saying this is why money's going to the space. Whether or not that's incorrect or correct, uh, I think when it comes to you know, the grand surges in altcoins and things like that, I think it's DeFi is going to get that because it's already, it was already almost making it to the headlines earlier in the lockdown when uh, Bitcoin's price was, mu was much lower. You know, there was clearly something going on. If you imagine Bitcoin was the, the, the internet finally imagining and creating a way of transacting value without uh, you know, needing anything else, uh, I think DeFi, what it represents is a Bitcoin, well, is, yeah, sorry, the internet um, learning or, and uh, so sort of creating a way to lend value which I think is, um, which is almost equally as important, if that is indeed what these DeFi tokens have managed to achieve. I just think going forward, if we are in alt season, you know, alt season does arrive, I think that narrative of DeFi is going to be what will dominate headlines and what, what and that will be like, if you ask somebody why they're buying any of this stuff, they're going to be like, oh, well, you know, decentralized finance is here. You know, I'm just going to, just as fintech is like a buzzword, mm. I think DeFi might be a buzzword. And uh, further to what you said uh, just previously with how young some of these tokens are, I think that is going to, that, that is going to lend themselves more credibility than having existed before, um, before this year. Uh, because then it's, it's much, it, you can't make the argument, well, look, this thing just boomed and busted in 2017, 2018. It's just going to do that again. You can't make that argument because the price series only goes back you know, six months or whatever, right? Um, I think that I think that will actually lend itself a certain amount of credence uh, going forward. What do you make of that? Uh, I, yeah, I think I think that's probably part of it. I mean, in the last in the 2017 boom uh, cycle, uh, a lot of the projects, a lot of the tokens that boomed then. Uh, were came out of the 2013 boom and bust um, and so languished for years and then in 2017 mul boomed multiple times more than they ever did in 2013 and I think that you'll find that a lot of the crypto that came out of the back of 2017 and 2018's boom uh, and relative to that boom 
the bust um, will do the same again. So, so it's almost like, it, again, it, I talk about it in cycles because it's like that cycle repeating and that there'll be ones that you're right. There'll be DeFi and there'll be new projects that will launch uh, in the, in an, in this, in this, if we do indeed see another significant boom, like we have several times before uh, there'll be ones that will come out of that as well and that will boom and bust. And I think maybe that's probably more an indicator of when the next cycle starts to be peaking is when the creation of more new projects starts to get rampant again, effectively another ICO boom, but they won't call it an IC. They won't call themselves ICOs anymore. Um, They'll use a different name for it, Um, but it will effectively be the same thing is because you can't, you it's almost like human nature. You can't avoid people wanting to cash in on something that's running white hot and it will happen again because it's happened. And again, you know, there's no way to, to suggest that, you know, it will happen again like it has now twice before, but the fact that it's happened twice before and that the patterns are indicating that it's a pretty similar repetition to that, um, is probably a good indicator that it will that it'll happen again. And if that does play out the way we think, or at least the way I think, um, that's that the narrative won't necessarily just be on DeFi. I don't think, I think what we, I think the narrative now, so the narrative in 2017 was very much, uh, every, every punter was coming into the space and seeing, you know, crazy, crazy gains. Uh, but it was predominantly, individuals retail what what people like to call retail investors but it's just you know the every the every the every person so to speak um and what we didn't get and we couldn't get before was the, was real big money um you know because there was issues around custody there were issues around risk um there were issues around the legitimacy the legitimacy of the space but what we've seen in the last year in particular uh, is a greater level of viability, credibility, um, I guess, maturity in the space that's allowed bigger money, proper big money to come into it. And that's why the likes of PayPal uh, are now getting into this space. It's why the likes of Citibank puts out a report talking about Bitcoin being worth over $300,000. They wouldn't even mention this shit previously in years gone by because they couldn't because they would it would it would flag all their um you know compliance requirements and and the regulator would be up their ass but now they're you know there are money 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 um or is it um money licenses or e-money licenses that are available that projects are getting access to um there's a lot more maturity in the space than there used to be and i think the narrative this time around will be that this is a legitimate thing i think we'll start to see the, uh, the the people the number of people that that continue to call this space a scam and a fraud and and built on you know bubbles and and what it might be um i think they will continue to grow smaller in number because the voices of traditional finance which are so respected in traditional financial circles finally will wake up this is a legitimate uh space that's doing actually some pretty cool things in not just finance but all kinds of different networks and I think that's the story that probably plays out. And there'll be elements within that sub subtext and subplots to that, which I think you're right. DeFi will be a significant part of that because of what it's doing in terms of um, what it's creating and building out 
Um, but I think it lacks the maturity that will be part of a lot of the projects that will start to become a little bit more um, recognized, I suppose, uh, as, as, as being something that's not just going to, you know, crash out and burn out and disappear is that these, 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 these networks, these cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, XRP, they serve a purpose, each very different to their own and, and plenty more, which I didn't mention there. Um, they're not, they're not just going to pack up and, and go away. They're going to be around for decades, if not longer than that to come. And I think that's the longevity realization of how much longevity is probably in all of this is now starting to actually crack, I think with people. I've, uh, I'm afraid I, I've moved on from my first beer. I'm on my second one now, Sam, are you, uh, are you, uh, are you are you finished your first with one swift remaining skull i am onto my side right. <laughs> i've got to say fermenterarna ipa was uh, was very nice indeed i think this is definitely one of the one of the best uh, swedish beers i have consumed yet um yeah fermenterarna um very Ooh. nice indeed I would give that, I think, a B plus. Whoa! Yeah, I'm being quite generous today. Um, (laughs) And I've moved on to my second one, which is a Christmas-themed beer. We are, uh, you know, we are getting close to, well, in Sweden, for some reason, they're really big on Christmas, maybe just because of how how cold it gets and how, uh, how, uh, how, you know, how early you get plenty of snow and things like that, but Mate, just, just is- considering to, to, to say that, having come from the UK, where for me, the UK is like mega on Christmas. Compared to Australia, the UK is massive on Christmas. For, for you to say that the Swedes are then big on Christmas, I, I need to get to Sweden at Christmas time now because <laughs> I feel like it'd just be a Christmas wonderland. Well, mate, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't snow in Australia. So there's no, <laughs> I'm not surprised that you guys aren't you know, getting up in arms when uh, St. Nick is... Uh, coming around handing out presents i mean yeah it's uh, it's, it's not uh, christmas it's not ugly christmas jumpers uh, at christmas time it's ugly christmas singlets right yeah i mean i think uh where is it is it in alaska there's um there's the there's that town in alaska where it's christmas all year so it's just freezing cold all the time and, and yeah they've just got christmas decorations all year round is it, <laughs> is it just called santa town or something um, what, what isn't that Lapland? No, no. I hold on, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find this. <laughs> find it. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to uh, give my rating on uh, Butty Buck, or however it is pronounced in Welsh, Butty Buck, uh, from the Wye Valley Brewery. A, a very, very nice ale, actually, to drink that uh, premium ale. Um, uh, yeah, look, it was, it was pretty. I mean, they're. I, it's it's one of those beers. It's neither anything hugely positive to say, but it's nothing hugely negative to say about it either. Um, you know, I'd drink it again, but I'll probably forget about it <laughs> in another in another week. But then if I saw it, I'll be like, oh, I remember that beer. Oh, I'll probably get that again. Um, so I'd probably give this a. I think I'd give this an A plus. Oh, very good. That's uh, you're being slightly more. Uh slightly more uh, negative on the beers this time than me this time around it's a, it's a uh, flippening the real flippening has occurred 
that's the flipping that everyone talks about. Not, not, not something flipping Bitcoin, not Bitcoins flipping gold, but you and I are flipping our ratings. <laughs> <laughs> this one is Wisby Jewel. It's got a, one of Sand, well, Wisby Yule, I suppose would be the proper pronunciation. It's got <laughs> uh, one of Santa's like gnomes or elves on it. Yule in Swedish means Christmas. I'm assuming it's a, like a Yule, like us would talk about Yuletide and everything. Uh, uh, this one is by Gotland's Brewery, or Brewery, I suppose. Uh, and it's a Yule All, a Christmas beer. Um, and let's see, this will be going at 6%. It tastes a bit like, I think this is kind of like a stout. Um, or some, or something close to a stout. No, it's not a stout, actually. Um, maybe a porter. I think this is a kind of porter. Um, but yeah, that's a yeah. Uh, when it, when looking for this town in Alaska, I've ended up with an entire list of the ten most Christmassy towns in the U.S., oh, wow. which includes Santa Claus in Indiana, wow. where it is Christmas every day of the year. Only in America. Um, this, but this is what I was meaning. Uh, <laughs> uh, Red Wing. No, this isn't it. Um, there's a play, There is a town called North Pole in Alaska. Uh, near Fairbanks, and it's Christmas year round. But I, I don't think it was it was it was named something even more, even more. Um, it was even more. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think North Pole, Alaska, isn't a isn't a town. It sounds just like a sort of a, almost like a fairground. <laughs> this is going to consume you for until you find the answer to this. It's like, well, where are you in it this week, uh, Buzz? Are you in uh, Stockholm still? No, I am trekking through the Alaskan wilderness to find uh, the, the, the town of Christmas all year round. It's probably quicker than you'd expect to get from, uh, from Sweden over to Alaska if you're, if you're willing to take the odd hike uh, <laughs> further north, I would imagine. I am, just, I'm, just I'm fly over to... the poles. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would be... Yeah, I, I do want to go to Alaska at some point. It seems so like a fascinating place. Hmm. Go to a, go to Anchorage, see see what the scene is like there. <laughs> see what? The, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say I want to go see what the scene is like in Anchorage. But uh, I, I'm with you. I do. I would like to go to Alaska at some point. I mean, to be fair, I, I really need to get to Sweden and uh, Norway and Finland and and those places, which uh, which would be interesting. Yeah. And then, to be fair, I. I, the, now the, the, the amount you've been talking about Swedish beers and Swedish whiskeys, I, I feel like it's an untapped uh, gem of alcohol. I always hear, you always hear stories about how expensive it is and it's some kind of almost, you know, it, it puts uh, a second thought into mind about the quality of the, of the alcohol that probably exists there. But it's uh, like you say, it's probably, probably something worth getting into uh, and trying out and doing a, doing a grand tour of Swedish alcohols. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the beers have been, yeah, the the some of them have been touch and go. Uh, I I will admit some of the Swedish beer has been, um, you know, not quite not quite as good as you as you would like uh, in back in the UK. But some of them have been very good. So it has been a, has been a positive experience overall. I would say. Uh, are you enjoying your second one, Sam? Yeah. So this one is uh, the Heart and Soul Session IPA from the Vocation Brewery. Uh, which is in Hebden Bridge, uh, which I have no idea where that is, uh, but it's, it's super fruity. Uh, so there's, it's a it's a tropical session IPA, pineapple and mango, 
it, it, it explains that um, the fruity character comes from generous, generous, generous editions of U.S. West Coast hops. Mm-hmm. Little tributes to Sean, as the worst Sean Connery accent ever. Um, uh, but notes of passion fruit, grapefruit, gooseberry, pineapple, and mango. So it's a. Um, this is probably the kind of beer that I should be having at Christmas in Australia, not necessarily. Uh, you know, winter winter coming in the uk but uh so far it's uh it hits the nail on the head when it talks about it being fruity or uh the beer that we have commissioned for this podcast quantitative ease uh there has actually been a mild delay with it it's uh due to its current status we're uh, we're keeping it uh, uh on hold for the moment so it uh, the bottle conditioning is sufficient before it gets shipped out so, uh, you know, the brewery uh, has decided to, you know, we'll hold on to it for another couple of weeks. So I believe it is, um, we'll, be, we'll be going live by, uh, by the beginning of December. We'll be, we'll be ready to ship out. Uh, I, my, anticipate, my anticipation is, is building very much for some, uh, for some sweet quantitative ease. We'll have to, <laughs> have to wait for it, I think. Um, Sam, by the way, I'm, uh, I'm almost finished uh, my second beer. We are, we are getting on for time somewhat. Uh, they're not they're not massively so. Uh, in terms of uh, other market news, we have focused a lot on crypto and the video game sector this uh, this episode. Is there any other uh, any other aspects you've been looking at? Yeah, also well, I've I've noticed uh, a resurgence in in the SPACs um, that we've we've covered briefly before. They they went through a little rough trot for a few weeks there, but it seems like. Um, with the turn of the president in the United States, uh, that the SPAC industry has come alive again. One of the most notable ones that I've been keeping an eye on was I'll give you, actually I'll give you the little backstory as to how I've came across the company to start with uh, is that I was, I, I, I was looking for a beer uh, a, a little while ago and uh, I was running low and I ran into the garden, a uh, garden garage uh, fridge to find one, and I couldn't find one. And I was like, "Ah, crap! I'm in trouble here. I'm gonna have to go to the shop." Anyway, tucked behind a bunch of Red Bull cans um, was a little Brewdog uh, Punk IPA, because being a short can and the Red Bull cans quite tall, it was just sort of hidden in the shadows. So I grabbed it, and as I was drinking it, I decided to make an order for some more uh, Brewdog beers because while we have our beers that we drink here on the podcast, sometimes during the week, I just want to have a beer and I just want something that's uh, easy to drink. So I usually have some brew dogs in the garage fridge. As I was doing so, I noticed that brew dogs doing another fundraise. Now I was curious about this and I was like, well, what are they going to use this money for? And <laughs> one of the things was to buy a fleet of electric delivery vehicles. So they're going to run their own, fleet of uh, EVs to deliver their Brewdog beers around the United Kingdom. And uh, looking so that is cool, you know, they're like prospectuses. They've got like cool little illustrations and pictures of all the fancy things that they're going to do. Um, and this one, it was this cool little cute looking kind of EV delivery truck with Brewdog along the side. But then in the back sort of right, back right, yeah, back right corner of it was the name Arrival. I was like, well, that's interesting. Well, this I was like, who's making these EVs? Because they didn't look like anything that was available on the market now. And I know that Amazon had or you know, signed a really big deal with uh, Rivian to do, I think it was like, so like 100,000 EVs for Amazon delivery trucks. So I was like, oh, Arrival, that must be the name of the company that um, BrewDog are looking at using for their delivery trucks. 
Uh, and so I sort of had a look around and I saw Arrival. He was an EV maker. They're making vans and, and delivery trucks and things like that. Oh, that's interesting. But at the time, they were a private company. Literally, like three days later, three or four days later, uh, I was trawling through some of the SPAC information that I look at just to see what deals are being done. And I noticed that Arrival EV uh, had announced a deal with the CIIG Merger Corp. Uh, and the next day, the, you know, the $10 trading price of the SPAC is what it sort of normally sits at. Uh, it popped to like 12, $12 or something like that. I think it was on the, the day of the announcement. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, probably keep an eye on that. Anyway, from there, it's now gone bonkers. It was trading over $30. Good uh, Lord. I think it was today when we record this uh, and is now trading around $25. So in the space of a week, this was only a week ago, uh, over the space of a week, it has literally tripled uh, and then just, just come back slightly since, but it's, it's further sourced that the, this whole SPAC phenomenon is, is not dead, um, but it is alive and thriving and the money in the stock market still pumping into these, I mean, they, they, don't make, they don't sell any or make any of these trucks at the moment. They've got some deals to, to send in, to make and, and manufacture a whole bunch for a bunch of different um, providers. But the, the, I think the pro forma enterprise value at its current price is like almost like $15 billion. And I'm like, well, there's money to be made in the market there, but you've, you've got to question some of the valuations on these companies, right? That's, that's bonkers for a company that doesn't make anything yet. I mean, at least Tesla makes something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and uh, what with Musk has now become the, the second wealthiest man on paper in the, in the world. Uh, it does feel like, um, yeah, it's quite, quite a moment. Uh, index inclusion is a, hell of a, is a hell of a drug would be my, my conclusion from that. What's <laughs> your take on the uh, massive rise in Tesla? I, you know what, it, it just feels like, it feels like there's just uh, there's there's FOMO for EV companies at the moment. I think I think Tesla's Tesla's kind of like the I mean Tesla's the poster child for EVs, right? There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they're that. the ones that made EVs sexy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that the, 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 all these other ones like you know Arrival that I just mentioned in their reverse reverse merger in with the Spark and know lordstown and all these other ev they're all new ev companies it feels like almost like sort of we're back in the early parts of the 1900s and you know the, the auto industry is just being developed it feels like a, a bit like that whether you know i'm not i'm not 100 sure as to whether all these companies and whether tesla i mean i still don't believe that that, that the valuation of tesla is i think it's i think it's insane really um but, 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 but people keep, keep buying the stock at higher and higher prices. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you would buy something. Oh, I don't know. It, it, it's That's the thing, though. It's not, it's not people anymore. They've got, well, they've got S&P inclusion. Well, yeah, well, they, I mean, there's that, but there's still, there's, there's still an element. It's not all bots and algos. I mean, there is a big, there's a big part of forced buying. Like, a lot, you know, like mandated funds have to buy companies in the Dow. So, you know, there's, there's big money that will do that. Um, 
but there's there must be i don't know i, I can't figure it out i maybe mm-hmm. maybe algos and, and and bots have have just ruled ruled the market and we're all just playing a losing game well no that well that's the thing i mean i don't think it is forced buying when 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 tesla gets included in the s p it's not forced buying anymore i mean they are the pat their passive funds are willingly buying the s p and you know tesla's the uh you know tesla <laughs> tesla is is the new new kid on the block who's going to get washed down with uh, you know tens hundreds of billions of dollars in capital as a result of that and i think that um you know, it's. I don't think you need to think that there's somebody with who is conscious who is buying the buying the stock. That's because re- remember, it's only the marginal buyer, and when you have so many passive buyers at this point, you know, passive is such a large part part of the market um, when it comes to you know, pension funds and the likes. You know, I don't think you need to think that there's somebody who's you know who's done all the fundamentals and is then concluding this is a good buy. Um, you know, I, I think that I think the the passive flows can can drive that thing through the roof. It's similar to Bitcoin, right? Just when, uh, well, you know, uh, you know, lots of caveats here, but it's similar to Bitcoin, just in terms of the fact that Bitcoin is limited, massively restricted in uh, supply. Right? Yeah. By design, it's restricted in supply, um, and you know, the you know, Satoshi Nakamoto is not using his Bitcoin. He may be dead. Maybe not, but you know he's not touching his hoard. The um, there's a you know there's millions of Bitcoin that is has simply been lost. Right, people don't have the keys anymore, so yeah. you know that's been restricted as well. At the same time, I saw a great chart earlier this week where it was showing flows of Bitcoin away from exchanges, mm. which was uh, you know which suggests that this is a um, a group of people uh, who don't who aren't who have bought into the hodler mentality right they are bought into the um the state that you don't sell and you just hold it uh, and you don't keep it on exchange right you just keep it you put it in a vault have it in cold wallet uh in, sorry in cold storage in a in a paper wallet uh, or you have it on a hardware wallet and you don't do anything right there's all this bitcoin leaving the exchanges just to be stored and to do nothing with this creates a huge amount of scarcity for then the for the Bitcoin that is on exchanges, right? When you consider how 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 massively traded Tesla was, um, you know, and you know they diluted the stock a few times as well, but when you consider that um, the passive buyer is almost like the hodler, right? There's not they're only going to sell when there's a massive redemption from the funds from pensioners. Uh, there's not, you know, it's not an active, we're going to buy and sell at different prices. We're just going to, we're going to sell when a load of pensioners tell us to sell because their lifestyle then requires a load of money. Um, I think when you apply that to Tesla, just how small the stock is relative to its peers in the S&P to some degree, um, and the huge amount of passive flows that can attack it, you know, that want a bit of it. I think that scarcity comes into play again. You know, there's just not enough stock to meet the demand unless the unless the price is a lot higher. And uh, that, that's what I would attribute to this to this massive rise. It's uh, you know, it's such a you know, history will look back on this period. Uh, and you know, Elon Musk will be one of the key guys, right? Of the, of this time, uh, yeah. the 2010s, yeah. early 20, 2020s, like 
Elon Musk will be a prominent figure when anyone's looking at financial markets um, and access to capital, corporate bonds, uh, equity manias. Like Elon Musk will be there front and center. He's cemented himself in history. And uh, what, it, but you know, it, it says so much. Like the guy is hated so fiercely by, um, you know, the Tesla Q community and they raised many reasons as to why you, why, you know, there is a moral obligation to oppose the guy considering some of the, uh, you know, the, the workplace conditions that's gone on in Tesla, things like that. Um, but you know, it is incredible to see, you know, such an ascension in wealth, uh, at such a time, right? I mean, we're, we're in lockdown, mate. Who's buying all of these electric vehicles now? I mean, what's I know. The... I mean, like this is this is what I, I, it confuses me. I mean, you you and I have been in, involved in in, in markets and in, in finance and, and economics and all that for more than long enough to know our way around the system and try it. But it just confuses me. I mean, when you look when you look at the biggest biggest listed companies in the United States, Apple sits on top almost 2 billion apple will probably cross 2 sorry 2 trillion apple will probably cross 2 trillion dollars worth of market cap if not today then probably this week microsoft's not far behind at 1.6 trillion amazon 1.5 trillion google 1.2 trillion facebook 786 billion alibaba at 760 billion uh 10 cent is behind them berkshire hathaway at 546 547 then tesla at 528 and you could even run through the you run through the p ratios and you're 35 34 91 33 31 29 55 tesla 1065 <laughs> i mean what tesla's i it yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, I, I struggle. I mean, I think Facebook's wildly overvalued too, for what it's worth. Um, but at the same on time, on a valuation basis, surely Tesla has to be massively overvalued relative to Facebook. Surely. Oh yeah, yeah, cra like crazy, crazy amounts. I mean, it, like I was going to say, I mean, at least Facebook still, you know, got an earnings ratio that's sort of within reasonable bounds, but. Tesla is just like you say, who's, who's buying, like, I have no doubt there are more Teslas on the road now than there were five years ago, but who's buying, who, who's, who's buying them all? How, how can they maintain? I just, I just, I just, none of it makes sense. Like none of it. It's makes such sense. an enigma, right? It's uh, like, I think, I think it'll only be the, I think it'll, it'll only be in retrospect when this, this episode is over. You know, when the history books are being written, that someone will genuinely be able to tell us, yeah, like what happened, because there are plenty of people now who will tell you this is exactly how this has happened. It's a load of fraud, uh, and it's happened here, 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 and you know they'll have a list as long as you're on with the kind of fraud that's been uh, that's gone on. Right? There are uh, there are people who've devoted a significant proportion of their lives to just say. The, to, to trying to reveal the kind of fraud that goes that is allegedly going on right yeah um, I mean, and you know there's all the massive government subsidy i mean you know billions in subsidies have gone have, have gone to tesla tesla's also been very good at uh you know like effectively selling carbon credits effectively to other companies in order to make his balance sheet look okay ultimately people are not buying teslas in 
any volume uh, that uh, equals what Elon Musk is saying they're going to buy them. You know, so yeah. all all of the announcements have been made. Nobody is buying them the way he says they're going to, like in terms of the thousands, millions, etc. Uh, and, and when you look at the you know General Motors or Ford, yeah, like these 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 guys are actually selling cars. Like BMW uh, is going to sell their millionth EV at some point in the next few months. Yeah, and that yeah, where's BMW? <laughs> Not not at, not at not at half a trillion dollars. And, and the other thing that I find interesting here as well, right, is that when you look through the really big companies on the market in the US, Apple Apple just far exceeds everything else. Like I say, almost two trillion dollars. Even the average three month volume for Apple is one hundred and fifty million. Then most of the others are like five million, maybe ten, twenty million. Tesla's 57 million in terms of its three month average volumes. It's like, it's like, it's like five times more than almost every other stock in the, except for Apple. Apple's an anomaly again as well. Um, but Apple sells enough to, to justify uh, and makes enough profits to justify their valuation. Um, it's it, you, when you just look at the numbers and that's the thing. And this, this is where, you know, people go, well, but Bitcoin's, you know, and it's like, it's very different. And you, you don't really compare the two because you can look at Tesla's earnings and you can look at their profits and you can look at the volumes that, that they sell and you can look at who's buying them and the competition in their market share. And you can have a very, you know, rational view of, of, of what it's worth. And just, it just, it just exceeds all be, belief credit to anyone that's made a shit ton of money on tesla kudos to you i've been wrong on tesla for a long time now and probably will be until like you say the history books are written but oh, i mean what what was how many what, what was their stock split was it a 10 for one stock split you remember uh, i think i think it was um i think oh, sorry one for ten, one for 10 stock split was that what it was or one for five or something no, I think I think it was more than one for ten. I think it was more than one for ten. Though I, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the figures, but I think it was greater than that. Well, um, no, no, split. Sorry, one. Oh, I always get the confused. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. You know what I mean. I, you know, when you're talking about uh, investors that have lost money, uh, you know, trying to face it, you know, just in terms of being wrong on Tesla, in terms of so, what it, the, sorry, just to cut you off there, it was a five for one stock split in right. September. September this year and the stock is now trading at 559 us dollars right so assuming there wasn't a stock split a tesla share would effectively now be worth almost two thousand eight hundred dollars very nice very nice fuck me <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> I, I wonder how much of it is how much of the market action um you know because it's the the it's so many people's focus you know you've got all of the stories with options on tesla and the manner in which uh you know options are, are ending up are leading to higher prices because options dealers have to hedge their exposure so enough people buying bullish options you know buying calls uh, are leading to dealers having to buy the stock, which makes the price higher and things. You know, I, I you you do wonder just how much uh, how much is is a result of that, and how much 
uh, the likes of Musk is aware of that. You know, how much does he know uh, the market is, you know, perceives him? You know, how aware is he of the market's enamorment with enamor? Uh, is enamorment a word? Yeah, how much, so. uh, you know, he perceives the, the market's yeah. adoration yeah. of him. And I would, I would, I would much- um, I would say I'd, I'd love to know what his real honest thoughts, I mean, we'll never know, but I'd love to know what his real honest thought is about Tesla's valuation and stock price right now. Well, I mean, he, like, and that's funny because he, you know, he goes on Twitter saying, I think, you know, he said on Twitter like six months ago, maybe that, you know, by the way, I think Tesla stock is kind of overvalued right now. Yeah, it went up um, like 100% in a week. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. No, but, and, but when you're talking about just how he is aware of the market's perception of it, like that at the time felt like it was, you know, a deception. Like he was saying this in order to either cover his back from the regulators or, or for some other reason. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole idea of uh, take, thinking of Tesla, thinking of taking Tesla private at 420, um, funding secured. I mean, when you, when you just, when you think of the valuation now, you know, that would have been, that would have been a really dumb idea today. Everyone thought it was, it was a dumb idea to take it private at 420 because and that was you know, pre-stock a, split i might add <laughs> oh no exactly exactly right so if you're talking about two and a half grand value uh, a share you know the idea of taking tesla private at 420 is you know this is this is way too low a price yeah. and yet at the time when he said that you know this is the it was like oh he's just goosing the he's just goosing the numbers up and people had these theories that the reason why he was trying to goose the numbers was because tesla had all these corporate bonds that were um they were going to mature soon uh, and they were convertible bonds so that the, uh, the price of the shares needed to be higher than a certain amount. Otherwise, they would need to be paid in cash rather than in stock. You know, this was the reason why Musk was, uh, was trying to goose the price up. But just in terms of uh, you know, thinking of taking Tesla private at 420, uh, yeah, that wasn't long ago at all. And yet here we are and, uh, you know, if you do, if you do adjust for those stock splits, you're looking over two thousand dollars a share. It is, um, you know, this is one of the great enigmas of capital markets today. I think I don't, I've not found anyone who has a totally convincing narrative as to, you know, you can say there's fraud, maybe there is fraud, uh, but then just the the market's perception and how the markets behave. I've not seen someone who's come up with a cogent answer to every aspect of the story you know yeah i mean it just it just adds further credence to the the question what is a brand worth yeah i guess he's probably apparently, he's apparently a lot the, the the prince of millennials i guess <laughs> anyway mate yeah. i would give, uh, in terms of the second beer i'll give wisby yule um I see how much will I give it? I would give this a rating of, I will give this an A minus, an A minus. This one, it's not, it's not great. It's got a, a lovely label um, with the, with the you know, red label, triangular, looks a bit like a bishop's hat with a Santa gnome on it, but uh, the beer doesn't taste great. So I'm afraid it's an A minus. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, I can't even remember the name, but the heart and soul from <laughs> Session IPA from Vocation. Again, it was, it was okay uh it was a bit um oh this probably isn't gonna be the most friendly word to use but it was a bit metallic for my liking right. uh, 
rather than fruity. Uh, I don't know whether that's a byproduct of just the can or whether it's just the byproduct of there not being a very good beer. But um, that's an A minus for me as well. I didn't, I didn't, didn't really enjoy that one all that much uh, at all. Well, it is unfortunate we're ending this one on a on a lower sour note. <laughs> but, but yeah, that is it. Um, yeah, we have uh, we reached the end of this episode. We're we're getting on. We're not too far from number twenty five. We've still got you know uh, another another to do. But it you know we are we are reaching a certain level of maturity with this podcast, which is good. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that is uh, us done for this week. Sam, any closing remarks? uh keep 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 investing people it's uh as 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 crazy as things look like tesla and and apple at two trillion dollars and 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 bitcoin at near all-time highs you know if you're if you're in the game for long enough and uh you make smart moves you'll do okay regardless things things always seem expensive uh in a market at the time of looking at them but then as the years go on and pass by they tend to uh, they tend to find their way of, of of changing your opinion very quickly on things. I remember, I think it was uh, five years ago when the Nasdaq had just breached all time highs, and I remember looking at it and thinking the Nasdaq will double again. Uh, and as as expensive as it all looked back then, it was still a time to be buying stocks. And I very much feel the same way about it today. Not necessarily at the top end, but um, there are plenty of opportunities out there in stocks, crypto, a whole bunch of exciting, fun stuff, whiskey uh, to invest in. So keep investing. Very good. That is all from us for this week, uh, folks. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. And we shall be back in short order with another one. In the meantime, uh, I hope you have a good week and we'll see you in the next one.